Let me just uh, remind you what Peter says. Verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice. When the, the gospel, the Christian gospel, the good news about Jesus really grips a person or a church or a, a, a whole community or, or sometimes a whole national society, there are a number of things that always happen. One, one of the obvious things, of course, is that church attendance rises, Bible reading um, uh, increases, um, prayer increases. Dig a little bit deeper and you find more profound changes happening like um, levels of godliness and righteousness uh, increasing, relationships improving and so on. But one thing that's often overlooked that always happens, always happens when uh, um, the gospel really grips a person or people is that there's a great outbreak of happiness It's actually not what the modern media would like to tell you about uh, uh, Christianity. On the one hand, they portray Christianity, at least in its more serious forms, as um, a dangerous movement that wants to rob us of our pleasures. Christianity is given airtime when it, um, it, it is against something, against blasphemous plays or against homosexuality or against cloning. Low point in the recent months uh, for me has been the increasing tendency uh, uh, in some circles for calling Christians the <coughs> um, uh, uh, being like the Taliban. be laughable, to be honest, to compare real Christians with the Taliban if it wasn't actually such a dangerous manipulation. And on the other hand, when Christians are shown to be uh, truly happy, you find that, that uh, the media at least always portrays that as a trivial happiness. Have you noticed that? Alpha courses are mocked as dinner party religion. Uh, enthusiastic churches are mocked as happy clappy. But actually, the reality is very, very different from that. We have had to acknowledge that there have been times when Christians have, to be honest, been unnecessarily killjoy in their, uh, uh, their attitudes. Oliver Cromwell banning Christmas comes to mind in 1647. But it often gets quoted. But note that that's, that's 300 years ago and more. People conveniently forget that in the 20th century it was the communists that banned Christmas. Or in the 21st century it's certain charity shops that banned nativity plays. Uh, uh, nativity scenes from their, from their shop windows. So it's Oliver Cromwell banning Christmas that comes up. The, true, the reality about true Christianity is actually overwhelmingly down through history is that it has been associated with an extraordinary resilient happiness And, uh, and Christians have always, as well, uh, tended to spread that happiness. If you look at the early church, for instance, you'll find 
Christians from very shortly after the death of Jesus being persecuted, even martyred, but actually rejoicing in their faith, even to the point of death. And you'll find those same Christians who are being executed actually filled with love for their persecutors, praying for their persecutors, doing good to their enemies. Just in the second century, the... uh, um, uh, the, the, the man who finally became a great Christian apologist, Tertullian, was so impressed by the resilient happiness of the Christians that he saw in North Africa, he knew he had to become a Christian. And then down through the, the ages, again and again that's happened. In 18th century England, for instance, when many people were, were in misery in the new industrial cities, um, uh, Wesley and Whitfield came preaching to those people and there was an extraordinary upsurge in happiness and social reform that brought happiness beyond just the Christians in the 18th century. Or today, true Christianity um, again and again is shown actually to bring happiness, not sadness. There's a survey of teenage boys, just as one small example, that uh, came out just a, a couple of months ago the boys who were attending Christian schools. It showed that those boys were more contented, they were less often depressed, they less often uh, uh, contemplated suicide and uh, they, uh, they, they spoke of a greater sense of purpose in their lives. And frankly, a lot of those schools were probably only vaguely Christian. It wasn't a survey of those that really took the Bible seriously. What then is the source of that happiness? That's what, I, that's what I want us to think about this morning. Why is that happiness that Christians have so resiliently and how, most importantly, can we enjoy it? And the Apostle Peter is clearly a happy man, isn't he? Verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says. Well, he explains in the next few verses why he and his readers are so resiliently happy. First thing he um, says is that he knows they, they have a new hope. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Their new hope, he says, stems from God's mercy in his great mercy. It's not something they've earned, it's something that they've received with empty hands from God. And it involves, he says, a totally new life. He uses this this, this, uh, image of a new birth. It's as dramatic as your first birth, he says. It's a new life. It is, this new hope, a living hope too. Not a hope which dies, not a hope which crumbles, not a hope which we pin our, pin our, um, uh, our every... Um, a longing on and then which disappoints us. No, it is a living hope. And it is a hope, most crucially, he says, which is founded on the resurrection of Jesus. Do you see that in verse 3? Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why is the resurrection of Jesus so important in, in, in this hope? 
Well, if we know something about um, um, uh, Peter's life, we may, we may get a, an idea of that. You see, Peter grew up as someone very much like the average person in Britain with an average set of hopes. He hoped to get married. He did, we learn. He, uh, um, he had a, a job. His main hope beyond that was a political hope that, he would, that, that his country, um, Israel, would be uh, uh, redeemed from under Roman domination, that they would have peace and liberty and self-determination. That was the hope of uh, uh, his day and uh, frankly it is the hope of most of us today. We dare not think much beyond just making a living, having a good marriage and uh, uh, living in peace and freedom. Then Peter met Jesus and for three years Peter couldn't make him out. He was magnetically attracted to him. He could see he was different and he could not understand what Jesus was talking about. Finally, to uh, cap, cap it all, Jesus goes, goes and gets himself arrested and executed and of course all Peter's hopes in Jesus fell to the ground. But then Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus appeared in bodily form, assuring them that he would never die again. And more than that, that Peter and everyone else who followed him could be assured of that hope. And suddenly, you see, Peter's... Peter's world has been blown apart. Peter's world has been expanded. Suddenly, in fact, he is given permission to have a wider, bigger hope than he had ever dared to have. Hope of a new life for himself that perhaps could begin now but actually would continue beyond death. A physical life. Not just some attenuated, um, um, uh, ethereal floating on the clouds, but a, but a solid physical life. Hope, hope actually that God would one day make the whole of his physical creation new. But this time, with, with the, um, tears and mourning and even death itself wiped away. A new life that actually would now enjoy everything good that Peter had had up to that point. But this time with nothing to mar it and nothing to stop it. Jesus uh, appeared, the risen Jesus appeared to Peter and suddenly he knew, suddenly he understood what actually all the little trivial hopes he'd had up to then were all heading for. They were all little tributaries in a great river that one day he would be part of. Where all his longings were satisfied. That is the resurrection hope 
that, uh, that Peter had come to enjoy. And that, he says, is the hope that you Christians have. This living hope which is, which is offered to us through the resurrection of Jesus. More than that, says uh, Peter, it is kept absolutely safe for you. It, you are born into an inheritance, verse 4, that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. God keeps his promise to you believers, says Peter, close to his heart, in his very presence in heaven. One day it will be fully revealed, fully realised in your life and your existence. But right now it is in the most secure place that it could ever be. It cannot perish, it cannot spoil, it cannot fade because it is in the presence of God himself. And he says, we will be kept on our side for this uh, glorious inheritance by one thing. You through faith are, are shielded by God's power into the coming, uh, uh, until the coming of that salvation that is ready, ready to be revealed in the last time. He said it will be your trust in Jesus that keeps you safe on this side of the great divide. And it will not be your ability to stir up that trust in Jesus. No, without God nobody can trust what Jesus says or does. It will be the power of God in your heart. That is how God exercises his power to keep us safe by keeping us trusting in him. And that, says Peter, brings great rejoicing. In this you greatly rejoice, he says. Not, that's not, that word is not the quiet satisfaction of the cards player who knows that he's got, uh, he's got a winning hand here and sniggers quietly to himself. It's not the temporary pleasure when we perhaps just see a beautiful sunset or a pretty flower or, or enjoy a, a lovely me- meal. That that, that word that the NIV translates greatly rejoice is a, is, is a word expressing overwhelming delight at seeing all our dreams come true. It was the uh, uh, rejoicing that Old Testament saints just occasionally had. For instance, in John chapter 8, Jesus says, Abraham rejoiced at the sort, thought of seeing my day. Abraham, who lived uh, uh, centuries before Jesus, rejoiced because he got a glimpse that one day Jesus would come. Or uh, David is said to have, uh, says that he, he, he rejoices because he glimpses the resurrection of Jesus in Psalm 16. My heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, he said. My body also will live in hope. That's such an important verse that it uh, gets quoted in Acts chapter 2. Or Mary, the mother of Jesus, rejoiced in that way when it was announced that she would give birth to Jesus. My soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, she says, because she is to be the mother of the one who will make all things new. And now Peter says, that rejoicing that Abraham had, that David had, that Mary had, is yours if you are a believer. Perhaps you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Lots and lots of people don't. It's very understandable because it's an extraordinary thing. 
that someone should die and rise to life again. Not only that, but rise to life that uh, will never end in death. Well, once we've accepted that it's extraordinary, we also have to accept that uh, there's more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus in history than for the existence of Julius Caesar. Actually, uh, many people in the first century had a massive agenda to prove this claim that the Christians had, that Jesus had risen from the dead, and they never did. Paul, at one point in one of his uh, letters, um, just says, incidentally, that his readers know that there are, there are over 500 people walking around in their day who had seen the risen Jesus. It was difficult for any serious investigator in the first century to deny it. Or at least to deny that thousands of people believed that it was true and were prepared to give their lives for it. And of course they weren't gullible simpletons. The world was no more full of people uh, in the first century who believed that people uh, popped up out of their graves than than it is now. Extraordinary though it is, there is lots of evidence for it. And it is absolutely central to Christian's hope. Jesus rose from the dead, never to die again. Most people, perhaps here, at least in their heads, nominally believe that because we claim to be Christians. Perhaps you just don't see how exciting it is. How liberating it is. It is the promise of a fully enjoyable life such as as we've just begun to taste now in the best moments of our life. I mean, what for you is most enjoyable? Perhaps it's beautiful things. Perhaps you would miss a nice garden. They thought Jesus was a gardener when he was risen from the dead, first of all. Perhaps it's because he was still pruning the roses. And do you really think that God would throw away beautiful things that he has made? The Bible doesn't say God will give up on the good things of this life and start something completely new. The Bible says that God will fulfil his great purposes in creation and renew all things, but this time without any mourning or dying or death. Perhaps for you, food is the the greatest thing. There are a lot of uh, people today who enjoy that more than anything else. Well, I wonder whether it's entirely incidental that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, one of his main appearances was uh, to uh, cook a meal of fish by the, uh, by the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. He's still interested in food and eating. The risen Jesus, he doesn't say leave all that behind, but he says come and enjoy. Uh, frankly, a lot, in a lot of young people's minds, um, if you ask them what they most enjoy, 
The word sex would, pour, uh, would pop into their minds. Ah, you got the Christians there, haven't you? Because there's no marriage in heaven. So surely that will be a loss, a lack in heaven. You see, there's no, there's, there's no marriage because there's no um, procreation, no need for, 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 for procreation any longer. And perhaps more profoundly, because God had no intention of confining the, the intimacy that is jo- enjoyed in marriage at its best simply to within private couples. Somehow God is going to expand all the delights, all the best things of marriage to encompass all humanity. The best intimacy that you could imagine with, with, with other people. It will be enjoyed across all mankind. The best delights of love will spread through all human beings. Perhaps there will be no, uh, no sex, but there will be not a single person there who's sitting there disappointed. See, I, I, I'm more and more convinced that we live with this underlying sense that, um, that, 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 that there are things that we must enjoy now because later we'll never have them. It's all very well, heaven, it's, it, but, it, but, it's, but it's some way off and frankly I've got some living to do now. And I want to purge your minds of that. We give up some things now. We go without meals and fast uh, sometimes. We are prepared not to devote uh, all of our time to uh, tending the garden. So we, we, we restrain our sexual appetites because God has greater things in store for us. Jesus, for the joy set before him, suffered the cross, scorning its shame. He knew that whatever he gave up in this life, there was no loss. Because God in his new creation was going to expand everything that he could possibly have enjoyed in this life into a glorious, physical, resurrected, satisfying, eternal, delightful existence. In this you greatly rejoice, says Peter. You are overwhelmed with delight at seeing it. Because now that Jesus has risen from the dead, you have a proper hope, a living hope. Not one that withers on the vine, but one that is kept in heaven and will not perish, spoil or fade and one day will blossom into full flower um, that with, with joy unimaginable now. The first and perhaps most important aspect of their, of their resilient happiness was then that they had really grasped and understood the Christian hope. It is resurrection hope. And that, says Peter, give them a new 
purpose or a new perspective in their trials. Verses 6 to 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have have to to suffer all kinds, uh, grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter doesn't try, try to claim that life will now be without difficulties. Notice that. They will have all kinds of trials. Some of those trials will be associated with human sin. Perhaps the consequences of their sin. We still live with those consequences sometimes, don't we? Perhaps the consequences of the sin of others. Persecution and opposition were a, were a daily reality for Peter and the people he wrote to. There may be trials that are associated with the general brokenness of this as yet unresurrected world. Illness, sickness, accidents, disasters. Now there will be all kinds of trials before that great day, says Peter. He doesn't deny either that there will be real grief associated with those trials. He says you suffer grief in all kinds of trials. As a superficial form of Christianity that that, that, that just sort of puts on a brave face and says that I, I, I feel no, uh, no, no grief or unhappiness these days. It's just not true. It's completely false. People see through it and it is not biblical. There is real grief in trials. But underneath that, there is a foundation, an unshakable foundation of solid Joy. Did you see that in verse 7? These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, honour and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. He can see a purpose in those trial, trials. If you've ever seen a, um, a lump of metal ore, you will see that it, it is completely unpromising, almost, almost universally. Only the word of the expert says that it is worth having. But when heat is applied to that ore, metal is revealed. Well, Peter says, God is doing something, creating something more precious, revealing something, might be a better word, more precious, more enduring than gold. It is our faith. When he says that uh, your faith, it is so that your faith will be proved genuine, he, he, he literally means so that your faith will be, will be revealed, will be, will be shown up for what it is, will be found out perhaps. The word from which you remember, um, the word uh, Eureka came, the Archimedes as he ran down the street. When uh, 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 he shouted, I've found it. God allows trials and difficulties to continue to come into the lives of Christians so that their faith will be found, will be revealed like gold from rock. Faith that is never tested in that way will always be as unpromising as a lump of rock. When it is tested, 
There may be some deeply painful lessons to learn. It may reveal no faith at all. But you see, better we discover that this side of eternity than when Jesus finally reveals what he's known all along. Then we can do something about it. It may reveal aspects of our character which need, need attention. Well, we can do something about it once we know about it. It may reveal, as I think it so often does, a lack of true Christian perspective, a true delight in eternity. You see, the, the trials, the difficulties, give us the chance to see those things, to respond to them, to be refined. And there will be a very real result. Do you see that? It may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Praise and glory and honour. Perhaps it will come from Jesus. Perhaps actually it will come from other people. That seems to be Peter's perspective elsewhere when he says, live such, such good lives amongst the pagans that though they, uh, they, they will see your good deeds and glorify God. Just this week I read a, a newspaper report on a, on a number of women who were imprisoned in Indonesia for uh, uh, evangelising children. Let me read to you some of the report. On September the 1st, three Indonesian women were convicting of violating the 2002 child protection law in Indonesia, were sentenced to three years in prison. Before the hearing, one of the women said with absolute conviction, whatever the verdict, I will accept with gladness. I believe it's a very small thing for God to set me free. Either now or later, it doesn't matter. His timing is always the best timing. I hope that the verdict will bring back our freedom, but if not, praise the Lord. He is the one who directs the course and events in life. After the verdict of imprisonment was announced, that same woman reacted by saying, praise the Lord, he is good. It is through the witness of Christians like that in other countries that people will turn to Christ. It happens again and again, even today. And they receive praise, glory, honour from Christ and from his people who saw their witness and put their faith in Christ. question that, that, that dogs me, that worries me, is whether we really are people who have that perspective and that sort of resilient happiness. I so often hear things like, I want everything sorted out now. I deserve better than this. I'm not satisfied with your answer that my trial will bring blessings in the long, ter long term through my faith. I want an answer now. I want things resolved now. 
And I have some sympathy with that. After all, Job in the Old Testament complained long and hard and uh, God seemed very patient with him. But in the end, Job and we have to find the only answer that God gives. Trust me. Christ died on the cross for your sins. Christ rose from the dead to eternal life. He's gone ahead of you. Now trust that I am not going to bring anything on you which cannot bring good into your life. Which cannot refine you and make you more glorious, more praised, more honoured in eternity. You know, I have never yet met a person with a really truly attractive faith that I didn't find when I dug a bit deeper it had been refined by real trouble and trial I've learned to look for it now because it leaves its mark on people a mark that is extraordinarily attractive Do you think Christ is not praised or honoured or glorified in this country? Partly because there are too few people who have those marks on them, who've allowed God to refine them. A new purpose, a new perspective on their trials then. And finally, just very briefly, all of that is summed up by a new delight. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Jesus Christ is unseen and yet loved Though you've not seen him, you love him. In one sense, the, the New Testament says he is seen. Because actually, as, as uh, his character is, is read from the page of Scripture, from the pages of Scripture, as it's explained to us what we do, as the Holy Spirit applies that to our hearts, we can see with the eyes of faith, with the eyes of our hearts, Jesus Christ. But we can't see him sitting there. We can love him though. He is unseen yet trusted. You believe in him, says Peter. Literally, you trust him. And he produces inexpressible and glorious joy. You cannot, in the end, find words to explain it. Jesus himself is the only one who can give it. But that joy comes from the fact that we are getting a first taste of our ultimate destiny. You are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Don't, don't be confused by that into, into thinking it's the salvation of just a sort of non-body part of, part of us. We must remember that it is the resurrection of Jesus which is the essence of our hope. It's better translated the salvation of the very essence of who you are. One day, actually, sin and the brokenness of our bodies and our hearts and our minds will be sloughed off 
and then the essence of who we are as God made us will live in resurrection glory. And we are beginning to see that. We are beginning to experience that now as we come to love Jesus, as we come to delight in him. One day that love that we've begun to feel will just, just, just overwhelm us with delight. One day that trust that we've begun falteringly to put in Jesus will be shown to have been absolutely um, right because he delivered what he promised. One day we will rejoice as we've never rejoiced before. One day we will say, I am saved. But in the meantime, do not underestimate the resilient happiness that God offers us. Peter had it. His readers had it. Though they both faced many trials. And it is offered to us as we see that new hope, as we understand why, what God's deeper purpose in the midst of trials is, as we discover that new delight in Jesus himself. I don't doubt that uh, a major measure of our fruitfulness as Christians will be will come from our happiness.